This morning we will be in the Gospel of Luke, as we have been the last several weeks, using this Gospel to work through this core series, where we're trying to identify what are our values as a faith family. What are the things that we want to be marked by? And today we're looking at generosity and the spirit of the fruit that is generosity. So we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Chapter 12, 13 through 21. And as we read now, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to the man, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to the crowd, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And the rich man thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And the rich man said to himself, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, here your children have gathered in the name of our risen King, Jesus. And we need to hear your voice. Your voice of love and your voice of challenge. And so I pray that you would come, Spirit, and open our hearts, do a work in us, form us into the image of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. On a trip to Egypt, author Randy Alcorn shares the story of visiting two different grave sites. For the first visit, their tour guide leads them down the dusty roads of Cairo they turn down an alleyway to an open plot. The site was a modest cemetery for missionaries to Egypt in ages past. And Randy's guide directs the family to one monument in particular. It read, William Borden, 1887 to 1913. And the guide shares some of Borden's story. He was the son of a real estate tycoon from Chicago. And after high school, William attended Yale University. But during his time at Yale, his father died 
And William inherited his father's inheritance, his wealth. So William is now a college-aged millionaire. What does he do next? William graduates from college, and he leaves it all behind. Moves to Cairo, Egypt, so that he can study Arabic, and then move to northern China and preach the gospel to the Muslim population there. That's what most college-aged, millionaire, Ivy League grads do, right? But tragically, only a few years after his move to Egypt, William contracted spinal meningitis, and he died before his 30th birthday. And there, Randy and his family stood over this relatively meager grave of a man who gave his life away for the eternal cause of Christ. And then straight away, they head to the second gravesite. And this one's located in the Egyptian National Museum. And on display in the museum is the tomb of King Tutankhamun, or King Tut. And the display is stunning. King Tut was buried with solid gold chariots and thousands of other golden items around him. His gold coffin was layered within gold tomb after gold tomb after gold tomb. So apparently he had a thing for gold. And the Egyptians believed there would be enjoyment of these earthly riches in the afterlife. But this wasn't the case, was it? King Tut's riches lay there collecting dust for nearly 3,000 years until 1922 when his tomb was discovered or plundered by archaeologists. Well, now listen to Randy's commentary after having experienced these two visits. He says, I was struck by the contrast between these two graves. William Borden's was obscure, dusty, hidden off the back alley of a street littered with garbage. Tutankhamun's tomb sparkled with unimaginable wealth. Yet where are these two men now? One who lived a modest life in service to the one true king, he is enjoying everlasting reward in the presence of his Lord. And the other, who lived a life of opulence and called himself king, he is in the misery of a Christless eternity. Tut's life was tragic because of an awful truth he discovered too late. He couldn't take his treasures with him. William Borden's life was triumphant because instead of leaving his treasures behind, he sent them on ahead. Well, what about us? As a church, as families, as individuals, how do we relate to our resources? Are we storing up or are we giving away? Whether it's our money, our time, our knowledge, or any kind of resource, are we foolishly storing up or are we generously giving away? Well, as we reflect on today's scripture, we'll discover that 
Godly generosity is, is a river, not a reservoir. We were not meant to selfishly stock up our resources, but rather to be a channel through which our resources could help others and glorify God. So we'll work through this passage in four steps, and really what we'll see is a negative example. Jesus will show us what to avoid in managing our assets. So, first step, I want it. Look again at verses 13 through 15. Luke writes, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this is a seemingly innocent request, isn't it? It's not like he's saying, hey, Jesus, give me that awesome car. Give me that large house I've always wanted. Give me that raise or job promotion or make my church gathering grow into the thousands. No, he simply wants his part of his inheritance with his brother. Yet still, Jesus soundly denies him. Verse 14, Jesus says to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, no one. It's as if Jesus says, my mission and my purpose as the coming Messiah is not to fill up your bank account. I have a disciple-making mission that I am dead set on fulfilling. My face is turned like flint toward Jerusalem where I'm going to go bear the sin of the world, rise from the grave, establish heaven on earth, send my spirit to empower my people to love God, love one another, and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. So who made me judge or arbitrator over you? Because I'm a little busy. I don't have time. I'm not concerned with your inheritance being divided properly, that your wallet gets a little fatter. And so let's ask ourselves, are we coming to Jesus for what he can give us? Treating him like some sort of genie in a bottle who can grant our every wish if we just ask. Over the last 21 days, count them, I've been living with my in-laws. Not like I'm counting. It was a Sunday to a Sunday, three weeks, so 21 days. I've been living, I've been, uh, living there, and my three-year-old has quickly found out that his grandparents can grant his every wish if he just asks. <laughs> if he wants his belly full, if he wants his toy chest full, if he wants a little bit more time before bed, just ask Omi and Opie. I'm not bitter about this, but I got some work to do to reverse what's happened to him. <laughs> but are we similarly treating Jesus like he's a means to get more resources, to get what we want, whatever it may be. May Jesus' words here humble us out of this mindset. Well, upon denying the man's request initially, Jesus continues. He seizes the opportunity to further instruct the crowd. Verse 15, he says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Watch out, Jesus warns. Guard yourself from all covetousness. A helpful definition for covetousness, I think. The desire to have more. That definition is admittedly underdeveloped, but I like its simplicity. Covetousness is the desire to have more. So notice, the man asks for his earthly inheritance. He wants Jesus for more earthly goods. But Jesus wants to talk about his heart, his cravings, his desires. You want this earthly good, but why? What is this desire that's driving your request? What is this desire for more? Be on guard for it. Watch out for it. So the man has sort of been rejected twice over. He says, I want it. And Jesus first denies him in verse 14 by saying, you've got me and my mission all wrong. I'm not your judge or arbitrator. I'm not your Omi and Opie. That's not what I'm here for. And then Jesus further denies him by questioning his motive for ever having made the request in the first place. This desire for more, covetousness, will lead us to find life in the wrong place. And in order to illustrate this truth, Jesus tells a parable. And this leads us to our second step. I earned it. Verse 16. Luke writes, Jesus told the crowd a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And the rich man thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. In Psalm 104, verse 14, the writer says, God causes the grass to grow for livestock. And God causes plants to grow for man to cultivate. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But you wouldn't know this truth by the rich man's response to his great harvest. You see, his reservoir approach to his resources stems from his entitlement toward these resources. My land yielded my fruit. I earned it. So I need bigger storehouses. No thought of flowing forth his resources to others. There's not even a brief, thank you, God, for blessing me generously. It's just, what am I going to do now? My barns aren't big enough. The man has an I earned it entitlement attitude. A few years ago, <clears throat> Meg, my wife, gave birth to our first, first child, William. And just a few weeks after he was born, I was changing his diaper, and I had an epiphany. It just dawned on me. And I called my mom immediately and said, Mom, Dad, thank you. And she was like, what's going on? For what? I said, I had no idea. I had no idea how much parents give to their children. No idea how dependent children are upon their parents. I mean, this little guy can't do anything for himself. 
He can't go to the bathroom for himself. He can't clean himself off after he goes to the bathroom on himself. He can't get food, can't prepare food, can't even put it in his mouth. I mean, we do everything for him, the most basic stuff. We give him everything. Well, friends, how much more true that God does everything for us. He gives us everything. God is our provider. Life is a gift. And when we're gripped by this truth, we'll let go of our resources and they'll generously flow from us. But this entitlement mindset, this I earned it attitude, it urges a reservoir approach and we miss on truly experiencing life, generously blessing others. Well, let me suggest to you a spiritual activity or a discipline related to this truth. Maybe it's during your commute, if you have a long one, or maybe it's in the morning before everyone wakes up and you're journaling. But think of five ways that God has provided for you. And intentionally speak aloud or write down these five things. Maybe it's your spouse or children or job or a material resource or your church. And meditate on the providing power of God. Reflect on all the circumstances that God orchestrated bringing together his provision for you. And this practice can just be one way of opening up our souls to more deeply receive this truth. God is our provider. He gives us everything we need. And then we can begin to let go of our entitlement and to generously let go of our resources. I want it. I earned it. Third, I might need it. The rich man in Jesus' parable continues. He's reasoning to himself, how do I overcome this problem of lacking storage? In verse 18, he concludes, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now think about the situation the man is in. His abundance has actually created a problem for him. What we would naturally think is a blessing, a large crop, has ironically created a predicament. Namely, he doesn't have anywhere to put all of it. So think of it. The man's problem could have been solved by generosity. If he gives his grain away, if he gives the fruit away then he no longer would have this problem of lacking enough storage space. But he's convinced, I might need it. And if I have it, then I won't be in need. My soul will be secure, my body will be fed, and I can take it easy. But friends, think how this contrasts with how Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11. He says, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. 
not a year's supply, not, a, not even a week's supply, but Jesus is calling us into a life of trusting in God's provision. And this means one day at a time is how we live. And if we believe that each day God is going to show up for us, God is going to provide for us, then we can give away our excess. But this I might need it mentality blocks us from the good life, a life of trusting God and blessing others. Where is there excess in your life? And could you use that excess for the sake of God's kingdom? Is there excess in your budget whereby you could donate more toward Christ-centered causes? Maybe there's an extra bedroom in your house whereby you could house a foster child or someone else in need. Maybe there's excess time in your calendar where you could give your company to someone just over one lunch hour a week. It could be any number of things, but these are the types of questions Jesus' teaching is pressing us to ask ourselves. Where is there excess in my life? And how could I use it to generously bless others? So the rich man's mindset is, I want it, I earned it, I might need it, and lastly, I treasure it. The rich man has all these plans. He's scheming to take care of himself. Verse 20 begins, but God. God announces to him. God intrudes on the rich man's self-serving plans and says, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And these things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus concludes, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The rich man treasured his earthly wealth and became spiritually bankrupt. God gave this man life. He created his soul. But now the lease is up. God says, this night your soul is required of you, and your earthly assets will count for nothing in this eternal transaction. So where are we laying up our treasure? On earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal? Ask King Tut about that. Or in heaven being rich toward God, being generous with our resources, making an eternal investment, trusting God for day-to-day -day provision. As Jesus' followers, that's the life he's calling us into. That's the kingdom we've been made citizens in. And in our oftentimes consumer-driven, materialistic world, this is such an opportunity for us to make an impact. Let's show them a different kind of kingdom. Let's show our community a different path, a path free from covetousness, free from entitlement, free from selfishness, a life where we are strangely generous. William Borden's story is so strange. 
Well, may we have similar stories of strange generosity so that they might see this community and think, man, something is different about Woodside Romeo. What has gotten into them that their lives would be marked by such generosity, that their souls would be so liberated from covetousness? And we can tell them what's gotten into us. It's the same thing that got into William Borden a century ago. And it's not that we're better people. It's not that we're moral, religious people. It's our God. Our generosity ultimately flows from our experience of God's generosity in the gospel of his son. God so loved us, he gave up his only son. In accomplishing our redemption, God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. At the heart of Jesus' gospel is God's generosity toward a lost and broken world. God gives us new life through the death and resurrection of his son. This is the good news that has brought us together. This is the announcement that has made us all gather, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has given us new life in him. It's this gospel that ultimately fuels our generosity. That's what's gotten into us. And oh, won't you join us? Won't you join us in treasuring Jesus? Won't you join us in being rich toward God, storing up treasure in heaven, and using our resources to bless others, to be a river of generosity toward our broken world. Oh, we would gladly welcome you into this faith family, into the kingdom of heaven. Follow Jesus. Trust him. Let's pray it would be so. Our giving God, we thank you. We receive now from you your grace through your Son. He lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died. Father, thank you for this good news. May our hearts be opened anew to receive this glad news of what you've done for us through Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would continue to make this faith family a testimony, a witness to this gospel. And may part of that witness be our generosity toward others. May there be strange story after strange story shared and seen because of the radical generosity of this faith family. Help us to be sensitive to needs around us. Help us to sense lives we can step into, situations we can share our resources with, that we can bless others and bring glory to you. You are giving God. We praise you. We thank you. We receive your love now through Jesus. Amen.